At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This is a baptism Sunday. Uh, I love baptism Sundays. They're just a, a great opportunity for us to celebrate the grace of Jesus Christ extended to people that we know and love right here around us. It reminds us that God is not just a God who was at work on the pages of the scripture, but we have a God who is still at work today, pursuing us and leading us into a relationship with him. And so we remember that and we celebrate that on Baptism Sundays. Now, when we talk about Baptism Sundays at Wildwood, our rhythm is three times a year, we have a Sunday that we set aside for baptism. Um, today, we have 19 who are going to be baptized. That's uh, fairly normal. We have 19 or 20 people three times a year who are going to be baptized. And, and we, I love these Sundays. They're great opportunities to celebrate. But do you all realize that the idea of a baptism Sunday is nothing that we invented? It's actually something that has been around from the very beginning, from the very first church. One of their first times to gather publicly was a baptism Sunday. And on that day, they did not have 19 who were baptized. They had 3,000 who were baptized. Um, can you imagine what that was like? As a pastor, I'm just racing in my brain about what, what that would have been like that day to see this unfold in the first church of Jerusalem. But it's an amazing event. And I think looking at that very first baptism Sunday, all of us today will, will gain some perspective about what we're going to witness so we're going to look at that very first Baptism Sunday in Acts chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 36 through 41 this morning. So Acts 2, verses 36 through 41, the first Baptism Sunday recorded for us on the pages of Scripture. I want to read these verses for us and then back up and make a couple of observations about this passage we need to know that this was happening in the context of a sermon that Peter was preaching. Uh, the apostle Peter was, was preaching this day. He was speaking, and he had already said a lot of things. And we're going to pick it up with the, the last statement of his message. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself." And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we have this description of the first baptism Sunday. I want us to see two things as we look at these verses together today. The first thing I want us to see is something about Jesus and something about us. Who is Jesus and who are we? we? We learn something about this by looking at the first two verses that we read, verses 36 and 37. 
But before we even look at those two verses again, it's helpful for us to remember the context. What was happening right now? We have parachuted in to a few verses at the end of Acts 2. So let's remind ourselves of what has already transpired. See, Jesus had already come to the earth. He had already lived out his earthly life. He had already died on the cross, and he had already risen from the dead and appeared to the disciples. All of that had already happened. And it had happened about 50 days before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection had happened about 50 days before the events of Acts chapter 2. And these events had not just happened someplace. I mean, they did happen someplace, but they had happened right there. Not just somewhere, but right there. The events that are happening in Acts 2 are happening in Jerusalem, and that is the very stage on which Jesus had died and resurrected. And also we need to know that Jesus' crucifixion happened during a holiday. You may remember what the holiday was? It was Passover. It was Easter. You're right. Very good. It was Easter, but it was Passover in that day. In the, the, the Jewish culture, they celebrated Passover. And on Passover, people came from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. About 50 days later, there was another holiday, another celebration that was happening. And we know of that as the celebration of Pentecost. And a lot of the same people would have been back in town. For the first time in 50 days, this crowd had reassembled. So strategically, in that moment, God sends his spirit upon the disciples. He had, he had promised that those who had trusted in Christ, the disciples, would soon have the Spirit's power fall upon them so that they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what had happened at the beginning of Acts 2. The Holy Spirit had descended, and the disciples began to talk and proclaim in all of the languages the goodness of Jesus Christ. And as they were doing this, they were gathering a crowd, and then Peter begins to preach. And in the first several verses of Acts 2, Peter preaches. It's interesting, you know, I, I just jumped in and read Peter's bottom line in chapter 2, verse 36. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, can we get that version of Mark's sermon every week? Like, we're just going to read the last line. And we, can, can I just hear the last line and understand everything that I need to know? Um, well, there's plenty to get in Acts 2 in the rest of Peter's sermon. But we do get a great summary statement at the end of his message in Acts chapter 2 in verse 36. Peter summarizes what he had just said when he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know. Why does he say let all the house of Israel? Well, because where was he? He was in Jerusalem. And who had gathered there? But the Jews had gathered for the celebration of their next big holiday. And so he's addressing a specific group of people. He sees them and he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Peter's saying, there is something really important that you all need to know and not miss in this moment. He said, that thing that you need to know is that God has made him. Who's the him? The him is Jesus. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, in that summary statement, Peter makes a very profound statement about who Jesus is and also who we are. And so what do we learn about who Jesus is? Well, the first thing that we learn about who Jesus is is what we, we see. It says, God made Jesus both Lord. He says that Jesus is Lord. Now, what was he getting at when he says that? Well, when we hear Lord, we think master. 
We thank the one who has authority, one that we would follow. And all of that is true. But friends, when we look back into the Old Testament, which was the scripture that the original audience would have had, the word Lord actually was loaded with even more meaning. The word Lord to them was what they would say out loud when they thought of God himself. And so what Peter is saying to the the group that has gathered that day is he says, Jesus is God. Now, that's a big statement. And they hear this, and it begins to reverberate in their souls. Even this morning as we gather, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is not just another person who walked the pages of history, but Jesus Christ is God himself come to this earth in human form. So he says Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. But he continues on in verse 36, and he also says that Jesus is also Christ. Now, we are used to hearing Jesus Christ as a phrase, and sometimes we might think that Christ is Jesus' last name. But it's not his last name, it's a title. The word Christ meant Messiah, it meant promised one, the one who would save people from their sins. Jesus' name himself even means God saves. And so in saying that, that Jesus is God and that Jesus is Christ, what he is saying is Jesus is God who came to save you. Out of all of the the possible ways for us to be saved, there's only one. We might imagine a hundred, but there's one way for us to be saved, and that is by God saving us, by coming to rescue us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, he says these things to remind them of the identity of Jesus. And as we gather today on this Sunday and every Sunday, we need to remember who Jesus is. Jesus is God and Jesus is the only Savior that humanity has. He's God and he's Savior. Now, after making that statement about who Jesus is, he makes a statement about who we are. And and by we specifically, he is talking to the the group that had gathered that day. But I think we can see application for us as well. When he makes a transition to talk about who they are, he says in verse 36, he says this, Jesus is Lord and Christ, and you crucified him. Now, that was a big statement, isn't it? God came. God came to love, God came to reveal, God came to save. He is the only Savior that humanity knows, and you killed him. That's what Peter says. And he says that with not just as an abstraction, but as an actual reality. They had gathered in a crowd in the same area 50 days prior and said, crucify him, crucify him. So this crowd that is gathering is, is hearing this, and it is, it, is, it is banging around inside of their soul. Jesus wasn't just another guy. He's, he's God. Jesus isn't just some other person that, that lived a life and it's done. He's the only Savior we had, and we killed him? Well, hearing that, verse 37, it says that they were cut to the heart. They realized, oh, no, what have we done They cry out, brothers, Peter, what are we to do? What shall we do? God came and we killed him. Our only hope we put to the cross. 
What hope is there for us? Now, friends, this is something that, that, that hit them very deeply. But I want us to, to think for a moment, it, it also should hit us very deeply as well. There is one God, and there is one Savior for humanity. And that God and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And yet many, many, indeed the Scripture would say all of us, are born in a condition that says, I don't want you, and are walking in our own independent way. We have something in common with these people. And this morning as we walk through this, we might be crying out in our souls and saying, what are we to do? How do we change this condition of rejecting the God who came, of of walking away from the only Savior we have? Well, a couple of things. One, we're going to see Peter's answer. But second is, we're also going to see the example of some who have followed the prescription that Peter shares. So what is this, the, the, the prescription that Peter shares? Well, we see this in verses 38 and following. And that is that we are to turn to Jesus and turn from we. We are to turn to Jesus and turn from we. They say, what are we to do, brothers? Peter, tell us how we can get out of this spot of rejecting God and walking away from our Savior. What are we to do? Is there any hope for us? And you might be asking the same question today. I've walked away from Christ my entire life. Is there any hope for me? Well, Peter lets them know, and Peter lets us know the way out. Peter says to them, first of all, repent. Repent. Now, what does this word repent mean? The word repent literally means to change perspective, to change the way we think about something, to change our orientation. In other words, if we are spending our lives, if Jesus is represented by the cross, if we are spending our lives walking away from him, doing our own thing, trusting only in us, rejecting him, To repent means, instead of walking away from him, to turn to him and to gaze upon him and to walk towards him in faith. That's what repent means. Peter said, you have lived your lives, you have joined the crowd calling out for Jesus to be crucified, and if you want any hope, you need to stop walking away from him and start walking towards him. You need to turn and face him and trust him. Now, after calling them to repent, he continues, and he says that you should, you should repent and be baptized. Now, why would he say be baptized? Well, remember, this was a, a group that had publicly rejected Christ. On the very same stage, the very same theater where they were calling for Jesus to be crucified, they now stood listening to a message from Peter. And Peter said, just as you have publicly rejected Christ, so now turn, change your perspective, move towards him in faith, and publicly tell the world that you are with Christ. That's what Peter said. And what's interesting is, as he, he tells them this and to respond with baptism, he, he also tells them that every one of them needs to be baptized. In other words, it's not good enough for one person in the nation to just be baptized and kind of take the fall for the rest of them. 
while the rest of them kind of hunker down. It wasn't enough just for, for one head of household in each household to go and be baptized. But the response was something that, that required an individual response. You know, why is it that we, we don't baptize infants? Why is it that we wait until people can make their own profession of faith? It's because baptism is something that is necessary for every one of us, and baptism follows repenting, believing, and trusting in Christ. He says, baptize every one of you who has repented. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, not in the name of, I want to do better, but in the name of Jesus. Remembering that Jesus had died on the cross for their sins, remembering that Jesus was their hope and their God, They were to turn and to publicly tell the world, I am with Christ. And if they would do that, every one of them would would turn, trust, and profess Christ, then there would be some blessing that would come to them. One of the blessings, he says, is that they would have forgiveness. He says, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, what were the sins that they had committed? Well, we don't know all of the sins that they had committed, but I'm guessing there was a bunch of them because they were people just like us, and we have sinned a number of ways. But add to their list of sins that they were the generation that yelled crucify on Good Friday. Even that sin could be forgiven. What Peter was saying was, turn to Christ, trust him, and have all of your sins, even the worst ones, washed away. And so he called them to turn and to be, receive forgiveness. And then he even goes so further and says, and not only will you be forgiven, but also you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is remarkable. What had just happened? Well, the disciples had just had the Holy Spirit fall upon them, and the people witnessed this. What Peter was saying was something truly unbelievable. Peter was saying, you know what? You've seen the Holy Spirit fall upon us who have been with Jesus from the beginning. But if you turn right now and turn to Christ and trust in him, guess what you get? The very same inheritance that we have. There's not a tier system in Christianity. It's not those that got in first and those that get in later have different measures of God's grace and blessing. But what Peter was saying was, whenever you turn to Christ, the very same inheritance, the very same future, the very same Holy Spirit will come and inhabit your soul. And so these blessings were extended. Now, a couple of caveats that are important for us to see. Not only are these blessings mentioned But Peter says in verse 39 something that I think is very helpful for us that live many, many years later. Verse 39 says, For the promise is for you, meaning that generation, and your children, future generations, and for all who are far off. So what he was saying is this this hope that is found in Christ, in this turning and trusting and professing as the solution for connecting us with Christ, this is not just something for the first century, this is something for our century. This is something for us today. And it's necessary for us today. 
Because when we talk about turning to Jesus, we are turning, oh, not, we're turning towards him, but we're turning away from something else. What are we turning away from? We're turning away from, from, from we, right? We're turning away from me. We're turning away from walking in our own direction and instead turning and walking towards Christ. Our Lord and Master is not us, it is him. But our generation, just like every generation that has preceded us, has a current that is moving away from Christ. Look at what he says in verse 40. He says, with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You know, we all think that our generation is the worst. This generation, their, their entry into the we're the worst generation would be that they killed Jesus. They saw him, they saw his miracles, they, they ate the food at the feeding of the 5,000, and they still yelled crucify. They felt like we, we are a, a crooked generation. And you know what? They, they weren't wrong. Their generation, the flow, their leadership, it was moving away from Christ. And if they did nothing, they would continue to float away from him. The world does, wants nothing more than to push us further away from Christ. But what Peter was saying was, we need to turn away from we, away from me, and turn to Jesus. And if we do that, then we might have our sins forgiven in him, and we can receive the Holy Spirit and share in the inheritance of all the saints. Now, friends, I, I, I go through these things today because this morning we're going to have another baptism Sunday. We're not going to baptize 3,000. Unless God has something else in mind that I don't know about, which would be great. But, but this morning, we, we're going to baptize 19 people, 19 people from our midst that realized that they are, are floating away from God and have turned and have looked at Christ and have recognized him as God and Savior and now are coming before a public gathering of people in saying, I am identifying with Christ and I will follow him with my life. And we as the gathered church celebrate as they have since the very first century of what God has done. But you know, it's, it's really great for us also to remember that this event that we are celebrating today in the baptism of these 19 is not the end of their spiritual journey. It's not. As a matter of fact, it's, it's just the beginning of their spiritual journey. Uh, we, I didn't read these verses earlier, but I want to read them now. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, so after the 3,000 come to faith, after the 3,000 are baptized, verse 42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. You know what that verse tells me is that God was at work 
all the time. For, for those that, that came to faith, that wasn't the end of their spiritual life. They continued it. They continued to gather together. They continued to, to listen to the apostles' teaching. They continued to live it out and show love and kindness to one another and to reach out into their, their lost world. For, friends, that's the church that is being described just as we are a part of a church, they are a part of a church, we are inviting into the life of the church these 19 who are professing their faith in Christ today. And so we celebrate that with them in the ongoing way. But I think it's also beautiful for us to see at the end of those verses that more were being added day by day. You know what that tells me? It tells me that there isn't a cap. Though we've got 19 who are being baptized today, I believe the Lord wants to do more work in our community. There are more than, than 19 who are going to be saved. And so this morning, if you are here and, and you have, have lived your life with your back turned towards the cross, know that today you might be reminded that Jesus is not just some other historical figure, but he is God and the only hope that we have. May, maybe God is stirring in your soul today to have you turn and to look upon Christ and to trust in him. And if that's the case, then the logical next step would be to go public with your faith in Christ. That's why we don't just have one baptism service this year. We have another one coming up in June. In, or in, I'm sorry, in, we have a class in June and a baptism in August. And you see information about that in your bulletin today. Because if God is at work in your life, drawing you to himself. Let's go public and celebrate his good work.